it sounds like if you weren't a gamer and you went to TwitchCon, you probably got convinced and influenced to be a gamer now. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely an investment of time, money, and resources, but I think I would definitely be a little bit more open to expanding on my knowledge of Sega Genesis 2 and the Nintendo GameCube, if those are still things. Brittany's got a whole new streaming rig now. She's about to go pro. <laughs> Seriously, uh, it's impressive. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to The Human Element, Kara's podcast focused on finding ways to inject humanity and insight into modern marketing. Today, I'm joined by Brittany Rubinsky, VP Digital Investment Partnerships and Brand Assurance at Kara, and Don McLean, Director of Gaming at Densu. Thank you both for joining. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. This is awesome. So before we dive in, we'll start with kind of a good morning question to get us going. Do you mind sharing a little bit about your role and the day-to-day that you play? Sure. I'm Brittany Rubinsky, and I work on the Microsoft team here at Dentsu. My specialization is partnerships and brand assurance. And I would say my day-to-day is really working with our top partners on investment strategy and brand safety best practices and some global work too. And it's a lot of fun. I'm Don McLean, director on the Dentsu Gaming team. And, you know, we're we're a small and nimble team. You know, on paper, we've been around just, just over a year now. The team was really born out of the global solutions team as Dentsu had identified that there was a need to have more gaming-focused expertise available to guide clients, guide internal teams on just everything from gaming strategy and research to activation. I've been a gamer my whole life, and it's cool to actually talk about it and get paid for it. So I'm actually going to go right back to Brittany then. So Don, extreme gamer. Britt, gaming <laughs> status? What is so, it? So from a marketing perspective, I know the landscape, you know, fairly well. I would say from a consumer perspective, I am more of a books and brunch kind of gal. So when I was paired up with Dawn to go to TwitchCon and really dive into a lot of a lot more of this world, it was just like the most magical pairing because I felt like I was going in there really expecting that I would need my handheld a lot to understand like what's going on, why this is really important to the overall consumer. Um, I didn't really need that. I felt like I picked everything up really, really quickly and I got the vibe and the energy and it was really just a fantastic experience. But that said, having Don there was just amazing for us to just, you know, have this experience together and really make sure that we were getting the most out of it. That's great. So you you tease out a little bit. The podcast is going to be around TwitchCon and really your experience as a whole and what that means for marketers. But before we do that, Don, I'd like to go back to you and kind of address also the evolution of your role here at Dentsu. Why do brands need to know about gaming? Why gaming and why now? Gaming is massive and it's basically everyone and everywhere. This year, there's roughly 3.2 billion players around the world. The market is generating just shy of $197 billion. In just a few short years, by 2025, you know, those numbers are projected to increase to 3.5 billion players and over $225 billion. So we're talking a lot of people and the old stereotypes of gamers being only little kids and stuff like that has been just completely shattered. You know, we, we see in the data and we even see with our own eyes, you know, that every generation is playing. They may have a slightly different relationship with gaming, but they're still participating in some way. 
And gaming has just really become so pervasive across culture in general. You know, you see it everywhere from small little glimpses of it to its full-on presence across multiple categories from fashion and sports to music and streaming and really just so much more. It's everywhere. Yeah, it's so true. And I think that that was one of the more eye-opening experiences that I had when we were walking through the convention center and just talking to streamers and different groups of people that were there. Just I've never seen diversity to that degree. Old, young, men, women, people of every color. It was, you just, you don't see that ever. You know, a lot of marketers have DE&I as a pillar and have that intentionality really baked into a lot of their plans. And I think it's something that if you partner with a brand like Twitch or you are even in the gaming space, you're inherently DE&I because the pool of people is just so eclectic. So let's dive into a little bit about TwitchCon. I don't know if a lot of our audience knows about it. Can you give us just a day in the life of what was your experience as a whole being there? So TwitchCon is essentially Twitch's own cultural community event. You know, it focuses on the general culture of creators and live streaming, and it includes a lot of fun elements like esports. There's more friendly competitive games. There's education. There's workshops. And it's just a really cool place to immerse yourself in that work and meet others who are equally passionate about the space. It's hard not to think, well, you've seen one convention expo, you've seen them all. But it was really to me, so much more than that, because you quickly realize that, oh, what makes all of these so different is the people. Like the people are really the ones, the attendees are the ones who make it feel so different and special. And like immediately walking into TwitchCon within the first like five minutes, it kind of felt like I was entering a giant room of best friends who I'm kind of meeting for the first time. And It's just, you know, everyone shares that gaming and live streaming passion. And that's kind of that glue. It's that connector. But then also everyone kind of comes with their own unique passions and fandoms like on their sleeves. I love that. They expected over 35,000 people, which has grown so much since the last convention that they had, which was pre-pandemic. So people were super jazzed to get back and just like reconnect And I'm a standoffish New Yorker at times. And I was completely like inhibited. Like I was just, I wanted to be out there saying hi to everyone I could. You know, being in a place where you know that you could just walk up to anyone and say, hey, I really love that shirt. Or what do you think of this game that's being played? Just to be able to be so open. It's a special place. It just doesn't exist outside of, of that convention center. I love the community aspect, and I think that sounds like it's the number one priority of the convention. But for brands, what would be the benefit of them attending a convention like this? If you are a marketer and you want to be seen as inclusive or, you know, really a part of, I wouldn't even say like Gen Z or Gen A, because I I do believe it spans multiple generations. It's just really about being a part of something that's inclusive, dynamic, and has a really big opportunity for streamers and influencers to talk about your brand. And we talked a lot about that, about how influencers and streamers really add to the talkability and the relevancy. Like, that's almost your best advocate as a brand. And it goes so much further when 
influencers or streamers are talking about your brand in a really authentic way and sharing that with their friends who are sharing it with their friends who are sharing it on their social channels. You don't necessarily have to be in the game space to participate. We saw a ton of booths that really took us by surprise. I think one was Next Beauty had a, a huge booth where they were doing makeup and, and it was makeup for everybody, men, women, old, young, it didn't matter. And they were doing all sorts of different looks. I love makeup. I couldn't even like get into the line because it was so long. And I just think like, that's amazing. This beauty brand that you would argue optically probably doesn't have a role in the gaming space, has this huge booth. I think, you know, if you're a brand that is unsure about how you fit or or if it's right for your model, it absolutely is. (laughs) Gen A, I had to Google that because that's how old I feel now that there is a new generation name, uh, which is slightly terrifying. We went back to the start of the alphabet. How terrifying is that? Actually, I think I heard it for the first time on Saturday too. Yeah, I haven't had a drop in a pod yet. So here we are. Yeah, yeah. New new gen audience grouping, so (laughs) terrifying. I have a traditional media background where it's very easy to bucket people. We are going after this specific audience. We are going after this specific gender. They have breakfast at this time. Like I'm imagining the old Simmons reports I used to pull when I was an assistant media planner. And like a big takeaway from this experience was that It's pretty antiquated, especially when you are in a gaming channel. We should be thinking of it as a channel. I think it should be as critical as your video channel or audio channel or out-of-home channel. When you look at the gaming channel, you really can't look at those hard metrics. It's way more psychographic. They're interested in these types of games. They're interested in this type of entertainment. I would probably position it as gaming is now the new area where entertainment and tech really intersect. I actually have a question for you, Don, which leads right to what, you know, Britt was saying. So Dentsu just launched their gaming report yesterday, which is perfect timing. We're almost breaking news here on the pod, which includes a fusion of our proprietary consumer connection system, CCS, research panel data, as well as with specialist gaming data from GWI. And that is across 21 markets globally, millions of people that we've kind of surveyed across the board. The report identifies and explores six new gaming archetypes for brands to tap into, along with their behaviors and motivations in different parts of real and virtual worlds. What audience insights are most surprising to you? What do you recommend for brands as they're starting to think about audience segmentation when it comes to gaming? When it comes to audience segmentation, I think marketers should really remember that Gaming is so diverse. And as a result, the players gaming, you know, the players themselves are also equally diverse. You know, gaming covers a huge spectrum, everything from casual mobile games, such as playing Wordle or Candy Crush in your downtime to, you know, playing more immersive virtual worlds like Roblox or Minecraft, for example. And it even includes people just watching other people play, you know, given especially the rise of Twitch, for example, so that being said, you know, it's important that we start to focus our attention on the motivations of gamers, you know, their reasons for playing or their reasons for becoming part of a gaming community. You know, we believe motivation-based segmentation is the best and most effective way for brands to really unlock powerful creative and media planning insights. 
which is why, to your point, you know, it's so exciting for us to share that, you know, we fused CCS with GWI game data. You know, that fusion incorporates numerous markets and regions, to your point, and it really allows us to better tap into the mindset of players while also taking into account those data points related to, you know, gaming device usage, categories of games played, titles, esports passions, and just really so much more. And it's because of all of this work that went into the segmentation and the gaming report in general, you know, what I found the most interesting was how our team internally, all of the teams internally, were able to sift through all of that data. And I mean, really digging into like the various dimensions of it, such as like level of gaming and intensity of practice, and really just walking away with those six gaming segments, you know, each one has such different motivations for why they play and they have such different media behaviors and media usages. And I think it's just so exciting to see segmentation like this for the first time, because historically segmentation has been very just like, Oh, is it a mobile gamer or a PC gamer? And it's just, there's so many other levels to it that we've been missing. So it's really cool to see. I took a look at it. I got a sneak preview. I thought it was amazing work. And I am definitely archetype number one. I want to play to win. (laughs) Fantastic. Fantastic. (laughs) I'm forgetting which number this was, but I was reading through all of them and finding it really hard for me to consider myself a gamer until I read, you know, the one that kind of likes to be consumed by mind games and then not talk to anyone. I've definitely have done that multiple times. <laughs> Didn't think that was a category in gaming, but here I am. One archetype that did jump out at me too was, and I forget what number it was, but just playing for friends and playing with friends and, and as a sense of community. And again, like from a marketing angle, and this also came up when we were away at the convention, but it was the idea that gaming as a channel has the opportunity to morph into more of a social channel, like gaming is the new social. And to me, that was the most like mind-blowing concept because it's so true. You're sharing, you're connecting, and a major benefit is that you're connecting with people that you like, and it's not necessarily a competition, like, I'm going to post a better picture with a better filter. It's it's a lot more natural, yeah. and I think that in and of itself is, is going to be a bigger opportunity in years to come. You know, to both of your points, I think that the report was actually very eye-opening because it kind of falls into what you've already said, that the gaming community is so vast, so inclusive, so diverse. And I think sometimes, you know, we think gamers are a specific thing or a a certain sector and realizing through that report, gamers are everywhere and just what capacity and to Don's point, motivations behind it and what they're really doing and driving where they're trying to get out of it. So I love that. There were some people that we met like outside of the convention who were like, oh, you're here for TwitchCon. That's like geek culture. I'm like, how many times have you played Candy Crush on that mobile phone? You know, so it's it's not for one subgroup of people, like you said, Chelsea. It's definitely we got a little bit of gamer in all of us. I think that was the big takeaway on that report and uh, in our experience in San Diego. You know, I think like old school, like years and years ago, there was this stigma around gaming. Like if you were a gamer, that meant you were a nerd, or it was like almost frowned upon, or like really subculture. 
And now, you know, it's just, again, it's become so pervasive and fully integrated and influential across so many domains that it's like, now it's, you see so many other people who are equally like excited about gaming. And it's almost like liberating to see it's like empowering to see this like, oh, there's so many more people like me who are just jazzed up about gaming and enjoy it just as much as I do. I too now won't be scared or a little hesitant to show my passion or show my fandom. It's just like empowering to see and people want to join in on that feel good vibe. So yeah, let's talk a little bit about that. The role of streamers and influencers. How has that evolved in the gaming community over the years? I mean, they command a lot of power for sure. I mean, if you look at Twitch, there are streamers who have upwards of 10, 11, 12 million followers and their average number of viewers is in the tens of thousands. I mean, they've they've built these strong communities around them and you know, are are quite influential not just to them but to the broader like gaming industry as a whole. And I mean like not even just the the top tiers, even the mid-tier and at the emerging levels, you know, these creators are also cultivating such a strong and passionate follower base. What's interesting is it's it's this two-way relationship, right? Like followers care about the creator, the creator cares about the followers. I think many creators have basically become these household names. And from a brand perspective, they're essentially the gatekeepers to a passionate and supportive fan base, whatever that size is. On Twitch, you know, you're actively seeking out content and you're seeking out content to watch and you're tuning into your favorite creators and supporting them in various ways, whether it's through monetary subscriptions or through community engagement. And I think it's just a really powerful thing because people are actively seeking to not just watch, but to participate. Yeah. And then I would say like the marketer media in me, <laughs> that perspective is oh, wow, I can partner with a streamer that has 10 million followers, 12 million followers. I think like the old thought was we're going to work with that guy or girl and get the most scale, get the most presence. And the streamer me, it's so eclectic. And yes, you could do that and partner with a streamer that is not the right fit for your brand. Just because the scale is there doesn't mean your audience is. And you might have a better outcome partnering with a mid-tier streamer that is more authentic to your brand because then those streamers are coming up and they will potentially adopt your brand. So I think a big takeaway for marketers is just because you have that big, shiny 10 million, 12 million follower doesn't mean that's the best move. You have to go with the streamer that's most authentic and speaking about your brand and to your brand because the outcome is really exponential if you hit one that's really on the money. Do you find that influencers and streamers in gaming particularly are much different than working with other influencers across the marketing ecosystem? I think it depends on the type of influencer and like the type of content you're getting out there. Because I think in this particular discussion, we're talking about gaming influencers and like the gaming audience, they see through everything. Not that other audiences wouldn't, but I think that there are other audiences out there that might be following like brunch with Babs and yeah, okay, she's doing a Clorox. Uh, that, that's, you know, that's fine. That's on brand for her. But I feel like gaming audiences would be like, no, you sold out. <laughs> if it's something that they feel is truly inauthentic and that could be potentially damaging. So 
in the gaming world, I would say it's a little bit different and authenticity absolutely has to come at the forefront. If it's fake, people will see through it and your brand will most likely suffer at the end of the day. Bernie, I think that's brilliant. I think it's so dead on. I mean, by no means am I like an influencer expert, but gaming versus non-gaming influencers, however we want to call it, on other platforms, it's easier, so to speak, to get away with like with relationships that feel very transactional, like one-way transactional. Like here, take this money, please put our product in a post and we'll kind of be done with it. Versus like on gaming, Brittany, exactly to your point, I think authenticity plays a much larger role. And I think it's because, you know, it's live streaming. Like you can feel, you can set up a picture or a video and post it on Instagram, but like you're creating content live on stream. And like, there has to be almost this mutually beneficial like type of relationship where like the brand's excited to partner with the streamer, the streamer's equally excited to work with the brand and then working together to find like a really common space and like good grounds like ideate around. I think like when both parties come into it, not in like a transactional way, but in a let's make something really dope like that's that's where the magic happens. And then I think people are really receptive to that when they're watching. It really is the insights that need to be driven to make that great partnership. You can't miss that part to make it right. That said, what brands are actually getting it right right now in the gaming space? Going back to TwitchCon, you know, I got to say, just like echoing Brittany before, I really thought the Knicks activation was just so cool the intersection of beauty and the gaming industry is just such a cool space, you know, especially as it relates to self-identity and self-expression, you know, seeing Knicks and benefit cosmetics there was really cool. And the Knicks activation specifically stood out just because of how big and prominent their space was. But like Brittany said, like there was a huge line around it the entire day. If you waited, you got to sit down with an artist and you could create your own like avatar makeup look. And there was a selfie area you could jump into. And one brand that in general, I think just kills it and was also at TwitchCon was Wendy's. I think Wendy's just continues to set the benchmark higher. KFC is another great example. You know, they've been doing a ton in the space. So I love the creativity that's out there. Plus one from me on Wendy's, not only did I get to jump in the metaverse, well, I guess they call it the Wendyverse for the first time, I got to test their grape frosty, which sounds gross on paper, but was delicious, especially when topped with nerds. So I think if a brand is going to attempt to copy a playbook from another brand, not a good move because it's already been done. I think the way to really do it well is to be a trailblazer. Some brands are going to be really on board to do that. Some brands aren't, and that's perfectly fine. What I saw as a big opportunity is within charity work, especially transgender rights, suicide prevention, and then also supporting female gamers. And uh, you know, Don and I had a really great conversation with GameHer. They're an entity that, that supports education, female streamers. They do a ton of, of great work in the space. And I think that in and of itself is an opportunity. You know, you find an area that you want to focus on as a brand, and there is 
a group of streamers or there is an entity there for you that you can absolutely support and expand upon, but you have to be a trailblazer. You can't sit back and say, oh, cool, Wendy's did this. I'm going to do that next year. It's just, it will not be as impactful. You've just brought it up a little bit, but gaming for good, right? So we do have a quite a large offering within Densu. We've seen that on the floor at the conference. What else do you have for, for brands right now around gaming for good? There's so much opportunity out there. I mean, from our perspective, from the Densu gaming team perspective, you know, in general, we think it's critical that we, all of us, quite frankly, you know, do our part to elevate underrepresented voices and content in this space. You know, we're always looking for partners and opportunities who can help both us and our clients champion that. The gamers is always like, my mind always goes to them. I think they're doing really important and empowering work. If anyone listening doesn't know them, I highly recommend checking them out. Twitch themselves has a really fantastic program called the Creator Development Program, which is all about identifying and elevating those underrepresented voices and content. And there's ways for brands to get involved, whether it's through stipends, you know, giving emerging creators their first sponsored stream, providing education and guidance on how to up their game. Another partner that we have so many conversations with is Community, spelled the O is an X, but They do so much work about increasing representation and inclusion in the gaming and esports space, doing a lot of work with HBCUs. It's awesome to see so many organizations and creators like stepping up and championing underrepresented voices. And I think that, you know, it's just imperative that us and the industry just continues to to do that. What types of conversations around brand assurance and gaming are you having with marketers today? That one's for me, Chelsea. I can't. It really is. It's in your title. It's in your title. (laughs) I think broadly, gaming as a channel is absolutely perceived as more risky because it's just like a little bit more the wild, wild west. Violent games are out there, they're prevalent. Streamers are very dynamic and can be a little bit off the wall. There's absolutely a lack of control. I think it would be disingenuous or just outright wrong to say otherwise. But what I would say is that brand assurance is a scale and you're going to have some brands that are more comfortable being in a place that is more risky and a little bit more edgy, like maybe a liquor brand or like the myriad of liquor brands that are out there versus a brand that has to keep a more squeaky clean image. So think like a pharma or CPG type brand. And I think brands have to be just be very self-aware of what they represent, what they stand for, and what they will not be comfortable being in front of. I think that that is where we spend a lot of time, just like from an advisee perspective. Like if you know you will get a call from your CMO, if you appear next to Call of Duty or some type of violent activity, then maybe you shouldn't be there. But if playing a rivals game is totally within the wheelhouse, then great, do that instead. And I think a lot of brands have found ways to still participate in a way that is still very authentic to them and not in a violent nature. Mars Wrigley comes to mind where they did a few years back, it was a rivals where it was like, 
Twix and you had left Twix and right Twix and you could like battle to see which Twix was better. All that to be said, there is a way to do it in a way that is fun and cheeky and not necessarily super violent or off the wall or super risky. There are going to be formats too that are riskier than others. If you do a live stream and someone drops a curse word, there isn't a ton you can do about that in the moment other than be aware that that might happen. It's up to the brand to really know their comfort level and and really take it from there. Oftentimes we think about, you know, when we're working with clients, we have so many conversations that basically revolve around like, oh, like what's the brand fit, brand impact, suitability. And we get into those nitty gritty, sometimes not uncomfortable, but it's just like, oh, like what is our stance on like violence or obscenity or like red blood versus blue blood? You know, that often guides the type of activation we can do. You know, if you're aligning with gaming, you know, such as contextual alignment, you know, you have all the typical tools I feel like you're used to seeing, you know, there's ad verification, there's like various tags and measurement and targeting that you can apply. When you go into in-game, you know, you can do your research to be like, oh, I only want to be in like sports games and you can just like tailor to that. Um, But then as you get into the streaming and working with talent, you know, to Brittany's point, that's where it comes, it can become a little bit more dicey. And then that's where I think it's actually like, it requires due diligence on the part of the agency and the brand themselves to look at the landscape, figure out, okay, which streamers are in our consideration set? You know, can we look at historical videos or chat logs and start to understand, you know, what is this typical type of behavior? You know, does it become more toxic? If it does, does it get squashed immediately? Depending on the level you go into, the waters get a little bit murkier, but it just requires everyone to both do the due diligence, but also, you know, at a certain point, you kind of just have to release control and you just have to be like, you know what, we're, we're doing the best we can and hopefully it goes well. Yeah. And I think it's worth noting too, that Twitch, like they don't position themselves as a free speech platform, right? Like you can be banned if you use pornographic words, if you are inflammatory. I mean, that is just not what the community stands for either. So I think that like, there are some really horrible things that have happened on that platform, but they've learned and adopted and have different terms of agreements to make everyone feel very comfortable, whether you're a streamer, gamer, or advertiser. Any final thoughts before we hit the lightning round, whether that's from TwitchCon that we missed, that we want brands and our listeners to know, or just advice for brands in general in gaming? The big takeaway that I think is super pertinent for agencies and brands and advertisers is that you just have to be authentic. It's not worth the effort if you choose influencers or games or programs that you think will move your brand in a specific way. It has to be something that really embodies brand values. Showing up, knowing you're a brand, but offering an experience that can enhance or add some extra joy to people's lives. And I think it's kind of like important for brands to step in with that giving mindset. Like, how can I add something to the community? It's advertising. It can get serious, but it's gaming. So you should also like approach it with kind of like a fun, lighthearted mindset. So totally. That definitely gets lost because 
marketers tend to be like, we need to hit these goals and these KPIs and we need to move the needle from here to here. And sometimes the path is not linear and that's okay. We got to be cool with the gray space. We're going to jump right into the lightning round, gaming edition. Favorite brand gaming activation? Mine was Wendy's. Absolutely. Wendy's. It's so top of mind. I love the GG Frosty, the good grape. Um, The VR experience is cool. Big fan of what they're doing. Most interesting fact you learned at the convention? Not necessarily something I learned, but something that was nice to remember. Like when you surround yourself with equally passionate people, it like feeds you and inspires you to go deeper with it. Cannot agree more. And and I would say like, it's not necessarily a fact, but more of a topic that came up that I was like, wow, I, I really want to look into this more was the topic of blockchain. And I'm not a blockchain expert. I'm not going to pretend to be one, but the sentiment was, how does the gaming industry properly navigate blockchain? How do we use it in a way that's effective and helpful? And, you know, is there a world where blockchain can support gaming avatars actually moving from one game to another? And like, again, thank God Don was there to help me kind of conceptualize this more. But like, imagine if we're all gamers and we have a specific skin or a specific costume. And what if we could wear that costume in one game and jump to another and keep all of our wins and credits with us? Like, it becomes like an IP discussion. It becomes like a legal discussion, but how cool would that be? And is that a place that the industry can actually go one day? So I think that in and of itself is just a fascinating concept. And uh, I, I can't wait to see where the industry takes it. Most interesting person and or company you met at the convention? I'm going to go with the gamers. Um, you know, I was super excited to see them. Again, I think they're doing just so, such powerful empowering work and it's always awesome to see organizations championing diversity inclusion and representation within the industry so it's cool to see that i am gonna go with the dynamite twins who i actually uh, ran into at the airport i didn't know who they were but they were twins that were dressed identical which you don't usually see when you're in your 30s (laughs) but i definitely like took notice And they were on my flight out to San Diego. I watched them do a quick stream. They were commenting on like the Just Dance game. I was like trying to sneakily like take notes on them because I was so fascinated. And it turns out they're Allie and Lexi and they are two content creators and they're out there doing their thing on Twitch and they were just totally lovely. And again, standoffish New Yorker, I would have never said anything, but by the third like random meeting, I was like, I have to say hello. This is the universe telling me that I need to meet these people and see what they're about. That's amazing. I'm surprised you didn't buy a similar outfit and just get it. I was like ready to make this duo a trio. I was was ready to jump in. One thing people should know about you, but they don't. Just something that has been on my mind the last day or two. I am a huge Blink-182 fan. And they just announced that they are getting back together again for the second time. It just took a pandemic and Mark Hoppus surviving cancer. But they are in it and they are going on a world tour. And I am so excited. I will be there probably for multiple shows. So, Brittany, can you sing a couple lines from your favorite Blink-182 song? (laughs) Absolutely not. How dare you? (laughs) That's how we would open the pod. It would be a perfect way. Don, what about you? What do you got for us? I used to 
really loved doing eating contests. And so there was this eating contest, I think still is at Rutgers University, where I went called the Grease Trucks Challenge. And you had to eat like five grease trucks within like 45 minutes or something like that. And I did it. And so now I have a sandwich named after me at the Grease Trucks. Uh, It's called the Fat Captain Clean. Everyone should go check it out. Um, And I got to meet Adam Richmond when Man vs. Food was filming there one day. And it was kind of cool to meet him, I guess. That is amazing. No one has yet told us about any eating contests or winning of sorts. So I I can't believe (laughs) we spent like two and a half, almost three full days together, Don. And this is the first time I'm hearing that you have a sandwich named after you. Like, I think we talked about eating contests very briefly, but you left that part out very conveniently. I'm glad you saved it for the podcast. (laughs) See, I'm full of surprises. The international man of mystery. What can I say? Well, thank you both for joining. You have been amazing guests. We hope to have you back very soon before the next TwitchCon, but, you know, make sure you save a ticket for me for 2024 and we will do this all over again. See you there. Awesome. Thank you so much. And thanks again for listening to another episode of The Human Element. You can find us anywhere you find your pods. Give us a like, subscribe, or even send us a note. We'll be back out to you real soon. And in the meantime, be well.